Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. Praise the Lord, you guys. This is uh, Brother Joe Schimmel from Good Fight Ministries, and you're usually used to hearing Chad open this thing up, you know? Uh, but Chad's on a very well-deserved vacation, so I'm doing it alone today, but we've got our whole Good Fight crew here, and we're going to cover a very, very important topic. Hold on to your seatbelts, man, because we're going to look at some uh, crazy questions uh, for a lot of people. But I was eating dinner with a couple friends. My wife and I were uh Actually, one of my friends, uh, Steve Riley, who actually knew when I was lost, after I came to Christ, I was able to share Christ with a lot of my friends and, and see them and my family members come to Christ. And Steve was one of the first friends that came to Christ. And uh, we were just talking about the wickedness that's going on in the world. And they were sharing about how his son, having a new child, was just blown away with the admissions coming from uh, Disney leaders about how they are... Uh, you know, one leader speaking, the one's head of TV animation, saying that she's putting queerness everywhere and, and nobody's stopping her and, and just laughing about it, you know, and what she thought was a private, you know, Zoom meeting with other Disney leaders. And he said, my son was like, no more Disney. And he was just blown away, like, praise God, because his son was uh, taking a stand. And uh, we talked about how the forces of darkness are really at work. And, and Steve said to me, he goes, he goes, Joe, he goes, man, the Satan, you know, and his minions or, you know, these demonic spirits and the Satanists, do they really think they're going to win in the end? That they're going to beat the creator of the universe? They're going to beat God? And I said, that's a that's a great question. And I said, it's uh, got, you know, uh, I believe there's good biblical answers for that. And we're going to get into some of those, uh, what the scriptures say about that and, you know, what Satanists believe uh, in regard to that question, but what God's word says. And so, but I wanted to talk about the bigger question uh, and I wanted to speak today in, in, you know, in relation to the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it's through Christ's resurrection and his death on the cross for our sins his burial, his resurrection that we have triumphed over the evil one that we have victory over sin and hell, Hades, death uh, Satan and the demonic world. Uh, we have victory and that's why we celebrate Christ's resurrection and that's why for me uh, you know, the resurrection of Christ and, and his death for our sins uh, these are, you know my favorite holidays. I, I celebrate Chris, you know, the fact that Christ came into the world, his birth, but I also radically celebrate his death, burial, and resurrection. And you ought to as well. And because when you realize what it means to you, it's just a blow mind. So I want to look from Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning, even before Genesis, uh, to Revelation and the new heaven and the new earth, and look at the spiritual war that we're in. Because most Christians, I would say many, many Christians, don't give much attention, pay much attention to the spiritual war they're in. So they forget to put on the armor of God, recognizing that we're commanded to put on the armor of God so we can stand in the evil day because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so it's, it, it's, it's imperative if we have victory that we recognize there's a spiritual war and that we put on the full armor of God and we're not to know, we're not to be unaware of the wiles, the Bible says, of the devil. And we're supposed to be involved in spiritual warfare. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare as Christians are not carnal, they're not physical, 
but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, to the casting down of imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ and bringing every thought into the captivity of Christ. We are in a spiritual war. So it's important to know, you know who wins this war because uh, there's a lot of misinformation and false news, fake news coming from Satanists that they're going to win in the end. In fact, that's one way Satan's able to you know, dupe so many people is he cons them into believing that they have a fleeting opportunity to be victorious and reign with him as gods and defeat Christ. In fact, uh, we've shown in our first Marvel video that just came out a few weeks ago, uh, Marvel and DC's War on God, uh, which you haven't seen that. You really, really need to see that, man. You're really, uh, I have to say, you're missing out because it's a real eye popper and uh, eye opener and, you know, mouth dropper because if you, those of you who've seen it, we show how over and over again they show uh, Satan defeating Christ or they show, uh, you know, Christ in a bad way and they show uh, Satan or the demonic powers or occult powers or false gods and these various superheroes as being praiseworthy and victorious. Uh, There's a big con going on and this is a big part of what we're talking about right now because the Bible tells us very clear how it ends, what happens, and the deceptions along the way. So first of all, it's important to understand that the scriptures tell us that Satan sinned from the beginning. Jesus said he sinned from the beginning, John 8, 44, that he didn't remain in the truth, that he's a father of lies, uh, that he's a, he's a murderer, and so forth. Uh, he didn't remain in the truth, we're told. So it's important to understand that, that he led a third, actually more than a third of the angels astray. Because some of the angels he led astray are bound uh, in uh, chains of darkness being reserved for the judgment of the great day, the scriptures say. Uh, other demonic entities, fallen angels, are at work with him in the spiritual world and are fallen angels that are deceiving with him. The Bible talks about Satan and his angels, not just, you know, they're demons, but they're fallen angels. We, we learned that in Revelation chapter 12. Uh, so it's important to understand that uh, Satan manifested the satanic rebellion among the human race. And in Genesis chapter 3, after God made everything good and declared everything good, all of his creation good, uh, when he created the earth and, and the humans, and he declared that the first humans, when he created man, he said it was very good. The scriptures tell us in Ecclesiastes that man was created upright, but he sought out his own devices. The scriptures tell us that Satan deceived uh, the first woman in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, the first man also rebelled against him, uh, rebelled against God, that is, and partook of the forbidden fruit. Uh, and humanity, from that point onward, has suffered death because the Lord God said, the day you eat, you shall surely die. So when humanity, destru- when the head of our race, Adam, decided to rebel against God, uh, the whole race was plunged into uh, hopelessness and despair, and that is without God, without Christ, uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a state of death, without, without hope in this world, uh, until, that is, uh, the promise of the Savior would come. So we'd be doomed, separated from God. They were kicked out of Eden. They'd return to the dust. The scriptures are very clear that the physical death is not the end of it because we deserve far more than that. The Bible says we're rewarded according to our works. The Bible talks about uh, Hades and also the lake of fire. We'll break some of this down as we go, but it's important to understand that all of us are in this battle, that you and I are all in this spiritual battle. And when humanity was enslaved themselves to Satan, because the scriptures tell us that whatever you submit to, you become a slave to. And humanity submitted to slavery through Satan's power. and uh, But you know what? God gave this incredible promise. And uh, right before, I mean, when, when I ask for the, when you, you know, tell people, hey, what's your fav- favorite promise in the scripture? A lot of people will quote probably John 3.16. I think that's an amazing promise. 
God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that we believe in shall not perish, but have eternal life. Great promise. But long before John 3.16 was written, there was Genesis 3.15, where there was a promise right after humanity fell into sin and rebellion against God. And that promise goes like this, and it's Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you, that is, the serpent, and the woman. Now, the serpent was a being. Uh, some believe that serpent was Satan himself. Uh, many other scholars believe that serpent, the serpent was an entity that Satan channeled or used. I lean on that side. However, the serpent is basically almost synonymous in, in the writings of Scripture with Satan. In fact, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, it says uh, that, that the dragon, Satan, uh, called the devil and Satan, the serpent of old, uh, deceives the whole world. And where we read in the Scripture, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. So Satan would bruise Jesus on the heel. And many look at that as being metaphorical. And I believe it is metaphorical of a scriptural truth that we find out exactly how that happens later. But I do believe it's also literal. And we'll talk about that maybe in a little, a little bit as well. Uh, but it's interesting. Satan will bruise the seed of the woman, which is Jesus, the Messiah, on the heel. But Jesus will bruise Satan on his head. Bam! He's going to give him a head blow, man. And uh, this is prophesied in Scripture. And we know in Scripture that right now it says, 1 John 5, 19, that the whole world is under the power of the evil one. But God was going to send his son to set us free and destroy the evil one. We read in 1 John 3, 8, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. Many people believe that, you know, yeah, Christ came to, to you know, bring me to heaven or to, to, you know, to die for my sins. And it's true that he came to die for your sins. And so you could be in his heavenly abode, absolutely. But they missed the fact that when Christ came to die for our sins, he was also going to bring a death blow upon the evil one. In fact, Satan's like the strong one. He's like the big bully who's taken us captive through lies and deceit. He can't snatch you out of God's hands. He can't use physical force to get you away from God. He has to use lies because God God respects the will he gave you. He gave you a free will. He gave you free moral agency. He gave you libertarian free will where he gives you a way of escape so you don't have to be deceived, the scriptures say, or fall into temptation, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. You have a choice. But it's imp important that you understand this is that humanity fell into rebellion against God and is enslaved to Satan but you have to choose to follow the Lord. But Satan is a liar and a deceiver. He's like that bully. But Satan isn't cool at all, man. If you're a Satanist, we pray the Father God in heaven opens your eyes by the power of the Holy Spirit through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and that you see that this is a lie. Satanism is a lie. Satan has no chance. An ice cube in hell has a better chance than Satan at winning this war. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you what right now. Uh, Satan is called the accuser of the brethren, man. As Jesus called him the father of lies. Why would you want to worship the greatest narc ever? Why would you want to follow the father of lies, man? I mean, Satan is like this, man. He goes to you and he says, hey, man, here's a perfect plan to rob Fort Knox, man. And you, you can get away with it. I mean, and he just gives you the perfect plan. It's like, wow, this is foolproof. And just as you go into Fort Knox, man, he calls 911. He says, hey, man, there's a big robbery taking place right now. Check that dude out, right? Because he is not your friend, man. He's your enemy. He wants to bring as many down with him as possible. You ever push somebody in a swimming pool? What do they try to do? They try to grab you and pull you in with them. Although Satan wasn't pushing the swimming pool. He dove headlong 
into his rebellion, man. He's trying to bring as many people with him as possible. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 11 regarding this battle and how Satan, this is a good application, how Satan's a strong man and Jesus is the bigger one, stronger, and he's going to defeat him. We read in verse 21, when a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger then attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all the all, all the all of his armor on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. Well, guess what? Satan's taken the people captive, right? He's taken the world captive. But Jesus has come to defeat him, uh, to uh, take off his armor, wipe him out, and plunder him and take the plunder from him that is hebrews 12 14 says therefore since the children share in flesh and blood since we're flesh and blood he himself that is jesus or god likewise also partook of the same he partook of flesh and blood like us that through death through his death he might render powerless him who had power of death that is the devil so god became a man the bible says in john chapter one the first few verses in the beginning was the word the word was with god the word was god right same was the beginning with God and all things were made by him. It says, nothing came to being but by him. Well, that's the creator that made everything, man. Then in verse uh, 14, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why did he become flesh? It says he partook of flesh and blood so that through death he might render powerless him uh, who had the power of death. And so we don't misunderstand what he's saying here. It says that is the devil. The devil has power over death for those who are uh, under condemnation because he's drawn us into sin, rebelling against God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, right? And God is the sovereign over everything, man. It's not like Satan and God are like equal and they're in this equal footing and one's trying to evict. No, man, uh, you know, Satan is is under God's power and he has to ask permission even to deceive. In fact, he had to seek permission from God in the book of Job. In fact, Job, God's the one that brought Job to Satan's attention and said, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan surely had, man, because he'd been sizing him up. And he says, yeah, but you protect him with this, this head you put around him. And the Lord gave him permission to seek to see if he can he'd get Job. And, and guess what? God's looking for authentic hearts, those who will worship him in spirit and truth, those who will show themselves loyal to him. And Job showed himself loyal to, to the Lord in the end. So this is all, a, 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 we're all being tested. Well, look up the word test in your concordance and you'll, you'll realize that we are in a test who we're going to be loyal to. And the, the scriptures tell us that Jesus said to Peter that Satan has sought permission, permission to sift you like wheat. But I pray for you that your faith will not fail. So Satan has to get permission. He doesn't have more power or even close to equal power with the Lord. In fact, we're going to see that he stands no chance against the Lord. So Christ, God became a man in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, to, to give us victory, uh, to, to be the seed that was promised. But understand, this war stretches all the way back to Genesis until now, all the way to the book of Revelation. And, and, and at the end of the book of Revelation, we see who wins. Right before the new heaven and new earth, Satan's complete, right? So it's important for you to understand, right after God promised that the seed would come from the woman and he would smash the devil's head, Satan's head, guess what, man? We read right away Satan was on, on, on at war, man. Because guess what? The seed's coming through the woman. That means through Eve's children because she's the first woman Eve means the mother of all her children uh the seed's going to come through her her line right through the through the line of the woman eventually so what did satan try to do right away he tried to destroy the line from the woman right away he inspired cain to kill abel that would make cain a murderer a wicked person deserving death that would put it abel that would make abel gone in fact we read in the scripture 
uh, we read in the scripture that, uh, and it's quite clear, First John three twelve. But uh, he, uh, we must not be like Cain, who was from the evil one. See that Satan was using Cain. He was trying to destroy the seed from coming forth and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because of his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So Satan wasn't successful because God gave another uh, child to Eve that gave him gave him more than Cain and Abel, obviously, and he gave you know Seth right, and then he continued uh, a, a line through uh, through Eve and down through the ages. But guess what? Satan wasn't done. He was like, man, I got to stop this 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 Messiah from coming. I got to stop to see the woman from coming. So he seeks to corrupt humanity. Uh, he inspires wickedness around the world in the days of Noah. Population explosion. There's violence everywhere. The thoughts of men's hearts were only evil, it says continually. That's what it says it would be like in the end times, and here we are, right? We've, at Disney, we're putting queerness everywhere, right? So it's interesting when we see this and we read in the Scripture that uh, the Scriptures also tell us that the sons of God had relations with the daughters of men, okay? So Satan tried to, what, through the sons of God, and the sons of God, we're told, uh, met with Satan before God in, 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 the, in God's throne room, Right? Uh, they they do even after this happens not not the same sons of God but the sons of God the angelic beings that relations with the daughters of men and they sought to corrupt the human race God brings this incredible flood wipes out the entire earth except guess what Noah and his generations were Noah was found perfect in his generations uh, he his he wasn't corrupted same was able to corrupt everyone and therefore you know through the ark God preserved Noah and his wife and their children their wives eight people in all and continued to preserve the line of the woman through whom the seed of the woman would come. Well, then, as you know, God chose Abraham, and God promised that the seed would come through Abraham. In Genesis chapter uh, Genesis chapter 12, the first few verses, the seed of the woman uh, was going to now come through Abraham. God made it more specific. Abraham, then Isaac, and then Jacob. Well, guess what happens, man? Jacob's name is changed to Israel. The seed will come through Israel. Guess what? The enemy tries to destroy Israel. Uh, you can just read the book of Esther. The whole book of Esther is about how, you know, Haman, you know, tried to uh, destroy Israel. We read about, uh, you know, Balaam. Remember that with Balak, the false prophet standing over Israel, trying to curse them. Uh, but but Balak was, and Balaam said, I can't do it. You know, every time he tried to curse them, it boomeranged. And he's looking down on this huge mass of perhaps three million people with the Ark of the Covenant, you know, the tabernacle in the middle. And then if you read the dimensions, they were formed in this huge two or three million person cross. And, you know, and he couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't, couldn't curse them. He hatched a plan with Balak to basically entice people to leave the cross formation and uh, commit sexual sin and idolatry. And many of them were destroyed at that point. We do read that because he hatched a plan. Jesus talks about that plan in Revelation chapter 2. We actually read about that in Numbers as well. But he wasn't successful in destroying all of Israel. And the seed continued to come. And then God narrowed it through the tribe of Judah. It's just interesting that uh, then Messiah would come through the tribe of Judah. Well, then you read when Messiah is born, what happens? Satan inspires King Herod, right? To kill all the young children, all the boys that is, right? If you're you know a boy under a couple years old, man, you were dead. Uh, because, you know, and we and that wasn't just Herod, guys. We wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood. It's principles and powers. In fact, we know there's a spiritual thing going on there. Of course, Satan used Herod's pride because, you know, Herod's like, I don't want another king to rise. But we read in Revelation chapter 12, very, very clearly, that uh, when when 
the man-child came to the earth, right? Through the woman. This woman gives birth to this man-child. The woman there is Israel. When you look at how she's depicted in the first couple verses, sun and the moon, 12 stars, that harks back to Genesis, the last several chapters, where uh, the children of Israel depicted with that imagery. And through the woman, the man-child comes forth. And what does Satan try to do right after the man-child's birth? Tries to destroy him and gobble him up. But the scriptures tell us that he was unable to. And we know what happened. Christ finished his mission. The Bible says in Revelation 12, he's caught up to God's throne. Uh, They were unable to have victory. So Jesus is on the scene. What does Satan try to do now? Couldn't stop him from coming. Guess what? He realizes, man, I have to deceive him. I have to get him to follow me. I have to get him to change sides. So there you have the wilderness situation, right? Where Jesus starts his about start his ministry, public ministry, around 30 years old. And, and what happens is uh goes into the wilderness to be tested, right? He's led there by the Holy Spirit to show that the second Adam, even though the first Adam blew it, the second Adam is not going to fall in the garden. He's going to show his victory even over Satan in the wilderness. And there's a series of temptations that happen there. We don't have time to go through all of them. But, you know, like if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread, you know, things like that. Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone. It's written, but by every word that comes or proceeds out of the mouth of God. Satan wasn't able to get victory. It says he left him for a time, a season. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 4 and in Luke chapter 4 as well. And right after that, Jesus comes back full of the Holy Spirit and he makes a declaration in Luke chapter 4, and you can read it. I'll read verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He does this at a synagogue. And all these Jews are there at the synagogue. He goes up and he opens up the scroll to Isaiah, right? And he begins to read this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Thank you, Jesus. And recovery of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed. What happens there? Guess what? He's declaring that I'm here, man. I'm here to save the day. He is the ultimate superhero. He's beyond even a superhero. He's God in the flesh. Amen. And praise God that he had come. Well, Satan's not done yet, though. It says he left him for a season. So we don't know how many times Satan came back. We know in Matthew chapter 16 that Jesus explained to Peter and the apostles right after he says to to the disciples, Peter, who do you men say that I am, you know? And Peter says, he says, who do you say that I am to Peter? And he says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, you know, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father, which is in heaven. Peter got all excited. But then he started getting kind of big headed there a little bit because when Jesus had to explain to him that he was going to go to the cross, he was going to go to the cross to pay for our sins because that's how Satan enslaves humanity, right? Either we're going to be doomed and under Satan's power and under the power and under the penalty of death for the rest of you know eternity, or we're going to get victory through someone else paying the price. The Bible says no one can save his brother, no one can ransom his brother because it says the, the cost of the soul the soul is costly. No man can make pay the price. Only Jesus can pay the price, and that's interesting because we read in Revelation chapter five when the apostle John had been caught up to heaven and to see the unfolding of this war that there's a seven sealed scroll and nobody can open it and John begins to weep begins to bawl and cry because nobody can open the scroll and he knows that these seals have to be popped around the scroll for God to uh, enact his 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 authority on the earth now he already has authority on the earth he owns a count on a thousand hills but as far as salvation goes as far as final salvation goes for for those who have turned to Christ uh for, for redemption to be uh 
for the resurrection to happen, all these things to take place. He understands that he it's something he understands that this is real important. It's got to be open. He's bawling, man. He's weeping, and, and he's told by the elders, stop crying. The line of the tribe of Judah has conquered, has prevailed, has overcome, so as to unloose this to so as to take the scroll from the Father, right? And to unloose its unloose its seals. Amen. So Jesus is the one that was able to get victory, but guess what? He had to go to the cross to do that first. Amen. And uh, before he, and he doesn't just see Jesus as the light of the tribe of Judah. He sees him as the lamb that had been slain and resurrected there in Revelation chapter 5. But prior to that time, Satan's still trying to stop him from going to the cross and dying for our sins. So guess what we read? And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter's taking the Lord Jesus Christ aside, beginning to rebuke Jesus, saying, God forbid it, Lord. I mean, God forbid that you'd go to the cross. It's the most horrifying way to die. And the Bible says that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. I mean, how do you get victory through being tortured and suffering the most humiliating death you could possibly suffer and, and, uh, like a criminal, would, like the worst criminals would suffer? So this makes no sense to Peter. Uh, and he says, you know, this must not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, that is Jesus turned and said to Peter, quote, get behind me, Satan. Woo, man. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. And then he addresses Peter, for you are uh, setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. There's a lot of double references, like when he speaks to the serpent, he's speaking to Satan. When he speaks of the prince of Persia, or when he speaks of uh, the king of Babylon, uh, the king of, uh, you know, Tyre, you know, sometimes he's addressing the principality that's behind it, and that's what's happening here. There's a spiritual war, and Jesus is not going to be thrown off his mission. He says, says he set his flint, his, his face like flint, to go toward Jerusalem, where he died for our sins. Now, Satan didn't end, didn't, didn't quit at the cross, I mean, or before the cross still, when Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, there's the powers of darkness, I believe, really getting on Jesus, trying to get him, and dissuade him from actually bearing the sins of the world. And he started to really realize the magnitude of that. And we're told that, you know, he, he, you know, we've talked about this a number of times, because to me it's one of the most beautiful things that Jesus did apart from the cross. The cross is the most beautiful things he's, he's done for us, but this is what got him to the cross. He had to prevail through prayer. It says there was heavy crying in Hebrews. A lot of people don't realize what Hebrews 5 says. It says he besought the Lord with heavy crying. So he's crying. He said to the other disciples, can't you, you know, pray one hour with me? And they're all snoozing, man. And he's going to go die for these guys. He can't even pray an hour with them. And they're not going to bear the sins of the world. But he continues to pray. And it says that sweat mixed with blood dropped to the ground. And that his capillaries, uh, we understand, popped there. And we've talked about that before. You know, uh, that, that, that forensic science tells us that there's a state called hematridosis, where it's only happened to, you know, very few people compared to the billions that are alive. It's very rare uh, where your, your blood vessels pop because of the such stress that you're under. Well, we read about that in Scripture, and that makes sense, you know, because uh, Luke, being a doctor, well, would probably trip out on that, right? Uh, when he heard that, when he, uh, you know, went through the reports of what had happened there, then you had eyewitnesses, or Peter, James, John, and Andrew, that were in the garden with him. Now, or Peter, uh, James, and John there. Now, it's interesting. What we have going on here is there's spiritual warfare because he said, Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. So when he goes to the cross, I mean, he's going to bear such pain and such anguish that we don't really get our brains around it enough. And I just did a message yesterday. You, you might want to check out. In fact, I've been, a lot of people were really encouraged by that message. And I just got some texts, like texts saying, man, I'll never forget this message because people came up to me afterwards like, you know, I'll never use the word excruciating again in my own pain because the word excruciating was invented to talk about what Jesus went through because it means X out of 
It's a Latin word, excruciating cruce, the cross, out of the cross, the pain of the, cro- of the cross. But it wasn't just an ordinary cross, which was the most painful way you could, you could be killed in those days, the most hum- painful and humiliating way you could be killed, stripped naked. You know, but they stuck a crown of thorns on his head. They beat it into his head with a rod that they'd given him to, to mock him, saying, hey, if you're a king. They put a robe on him after whipping his body like, you know, hamburger meat and, and let the, the robe dry on his back a bit when his, it was just like, you know, court, you know strands of, of flesh just hanging there. Ripped it off his back, pulled out his beard as according to Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, yanking his beard out. His face was more marred than that of every man's. Stuck a bag on his head, punched him over and over again. Over and over again, they punched him and said, tell us if you're a prophet, who's the one hitting you right now, right? Mocking him, spitting upon him. Just wicked wickedness against him, arrayed against him. Satan was trying to just dissuade him from uh, his mission. And Jesus continued to confess the Lord. And you know what Jesus said according to Psalm 22, 12 and 13? And by the way, I've done, we've been looking at how Jesus experienced hell on the cross. Some say, oh, he actually went to hell to suffer. Never went to hell to suffer. Okay, he went into the lower parts of the earth to deliver the captives and set them free, but never to suffer. He had his victory over Satan on the cross. And we've been looking at different ways he experienced hell on the cross. In fact, he had a sense of forsakenness. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because guess what? The wicked, he'll say, depart from me, right? They'll be told, well, guess what? He sensed a sense of forsakenness. He sensed darkness. The Bible says well, the wicked will be cast into outer darkness. Jesus said that over and over again. Guess what? It became dark for a few hours with intense darkness, man. And that darkness was pointed at him, right, as wrath. Perhaps darkness he could even feel like in the book of Exodus when God judged Pharaoh and his kingdom because we get the wrath that all the wicked, des- all the wicked that uh, we deserve, the, the wrath that we wicked people deserve. And we're all wicked. We've all fallen. We're all fall short radically of God's glory, fell upon him. So a separation, a sense of separation, darkness right and yesterday we said a couple more of those things which was the the, the pain which would be intolerable for any of us right the pain that he went through and that being subjected to demonic forces which is what the lost are subjected to well guess what we read in psalm chapter 22 12 and 13 many bulls jesus said surround me strong bulls of bashan encircle me roaring lions tearing their prey open their mouths wide against me since uh there were now since there were uh no literal bulls and lions. We don't read about bulls or lions, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John at the cross, do we? They weren't literal bulls or lions, but sometimes these animals are used as depictions of Satan. In fact, we're told that Satan, as anointed cherub, one of the faces he would have is that of a bull. Uh, he had the bull worshipped at Mount Sinai among the people of Israel when he led them astray because he wanted himself to be worshipped. His objective has always been to be worshipped, right? Uh, he's wanted to be worshipped. He said, Jesus, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms of this world, right? Uh, that's what his deal is, and his deal is, deal is to come to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus came to give us life and give it more abundantly. But he says, Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of the Bashan encircle me, roaring lions tearing their, their prey upon their mouths wide against me. Since there were no literal bulls or lions, what's he talking about there? Well, I believe that since Satan is depicted sometimes as a bull, and they worshiped many of the pagans in the land of Canaan, worshiped Baal or Baal, with the face of a bull, okay? And they were really demon gods. And the bulls of Bashan, they actually bred them on the east of the Jordan where they had these huge bulls where they worshipped evil spirits, where the Canaanites had worshipped Baal, the bull-headed god. And the roaring lions, well, come on, man. First Peter 5.8, the Bible says, Be sober, be vigilant for your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I covered this a bit last night when I went through the pain that Jesus went through. That is 
I spent a few minutes on talking about uh, the afflictions that he went through from the enemy. But this whole message is how there's this spiritual war that we're involved in. And guess what? At the cross, Satan was still there attacking him, attacking him. Remember, he possessed Judas, right? Judas was demon-possessed and in on it with the, uh, the, the, the people that would, you know, he betrayed Jesus to the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, who Jesus already said, you are of your father the devil and the other Jewish leaders. Uh, keep in mind, we read in Luke, listen to this, chapter 22, verses 52 and 53, we read scripture that lets us know that these Jewish leaders were under Satan's power during the time of the crucifixion. We read this, then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come against him, have you come out with swords and clubs as you would against a robber? Well, I was with you daily in the temple. You did not lay hands on me, but this hour, he says, but this hour, the power of darkness are yours. The powers of darkness are yours. So they were under the power of darkness at this time. That's what's going on there. Is In fact, guess what? Remember how Satan said, if you're the son of God, turn these stones to bread. You know, a few years earlier, now he's on the cross and guess what someone says to him? If you're the son of God, take yourself down from the cross. Echoing the same temptation that had come earlier. Do this radical thing that nobody else could do to try to tempt him. So Satan was still at it. And he wasn't victorious because guess what? The sixth saying out of the seven sayings that Jesus uttered on the cross was what? It is finished, man. To tell us die. Paid in full. Okay? And I've told you before that those placards at the top of the crosses and that those placards that were used often at prison cells, it had your crimes there, man. And then it wasn't until you did your time in jail or prison that they would cross those crimes out with the word to tell us die paid in full and on the cross did jesus have any crimes no it said king of the jews jesus is the king of the jews he was of he was the seed of the woman he was the lion the, he's the lion of the tribe of judah he came through the tribe of judah son of david man showing his miraculous credentials dying the very time we're told in daniel chapter 9 after 69 7 483 years after the decree to rebuild jerusalem messiah would be cut off he fulfilled it to the very date that the Lord God said that Messiah would be crucified. And when he said to tell us die, he had no crime. The, the accusation against him, king of the Jews, not a crime. He paid it in full for us. He died for our sins. So Satan would no longer have power over us. So he would no longer have to bring his wrath upon us because that is God's wrath would no longer be brought upon us because of the sacrifice that Jesus came. He fully paid and satisfied God's requirements of the, of the law of God and for each and every one of us because the Bible says cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things written in the law and that's not you know, it says cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree right it says Jesus redeemed us from the cursed law because he became a curse for us wow and it's not just the Jews that would be cursed in fact I can show you where the Jews hung a, a king of Ai up on a tree and took his body down before nightfall because he'd broken the moral law of God Gentiles and Jews have broken God's law. And we all deserve judgment. And we all would be damned to hell forever, separated from God in darkness forever. But guess what? Jesus Christ came and experienced the fullness of the wrath that we all deserve. Can you imagine? I mean, I can't imagine suffering what I deserve if I was separated from God forever and cast in the lake of fire. That would be ugly, man. But guess what? If I had to suffer what I deserve, with, and there's different, there's different degrees of punishment, by the way. Some say, oh, no, you know, all punishments are the same. No, it's not. The Bible says you'll be rewarded according to your works, not only in heaven for those who know Jesus, but the Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 50, that the wicked will be rewarded according to their deeds. 
And the Bible talks about, Jesus said, those who uh, deserve more punishment, they'll have many stripes and be cut in pieces compared to those who have didn't know the Lord's will and deserve punishment. They'll get punished too, but not as bad. The Bible says those who know Christ and turn away from him, it's better that they've never known him than the judgment that they're going to face in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. In fact, it says in Revelation chapter, or I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31, that if we go on rebelling or sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for a fire and indignation that will devour the adversaries of God. It says if they received, you know, if they were stoned to death under the testimony of two, three witnesses under the, in, in the days of no, uh, Moses, how much worse punishment suppose ye shall he receive was trampled underfoot the Son of God. And, you know, the, uh, the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. It's even worse punishment, it says. How should we escape, it says, if we neglect such a great salvation? So there's many, many scriptures like that. Uh, it talks about the false prophets in Second Peter chapter 2, that the blackest, not just darkness forever, but the blackest of darkness is reserved for them. We read Second Peter chapter 2 with the book of Jude. So guess what? Uh, there's, there's radical punishment going. So if I have to experience the penalty of myself and two other people, three other people, four other people, it gets more intense. Well, Jesus experienced the punishment of the entire world. No wonder he said, Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. But it was not possible for us to be saved other than Jesus dying for our sins because we've already read, nobody can redeem his brother. We can't redeem ourselves. The book of Galatians says if, if God could have given a law that would have saved us, he would have given it. God's law doesn't save us. God's law shows us that we were, were immoral, that we deserve judgment, right? And it condemns us, not because the law is evil, but because we are, and it's righteous. But only the righteous God, the infinite God, is worthy and powerful and and of such value that he could step into time out of eternity into the time-space continuum and pay for the sins of the entire world. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And it's interesting because when Jesus died on the cross, uh, he not only paid for our sins, but it says he triumphed over the principalities and powers. Listen to what it says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt. Remember the debt? That placard that was written against us? That's God's law. Every law that you've broken is written against you, man. But it says he canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way. Listen to this. Having nailed it to the cross, means he satisfied the judgment that we deserved in our place as a substitutionary Atonement. The Bible says that the stroke that we were due, Isaiah 53, he took for us. Just as the Passover lambs were sacrificed uh, for the firstborn of the children of Israel, and they were put up, the blood was put up from those sacrifices in the form of a cross in the book of Exodus. So Christ is our Passover lamb, lamb sacrificed for us. And it says, he, it was nailed to the cross. Then listen to this, verse 15. This is heavy. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities. When he had disarmed the rulers and the authorities the satanic rulers, the demonic authorities that had power over us because we were under their power, because we were agents of Satan, under Satan's power, children of Satan. He, he disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. All right? God triumphed over the principalities and powers that had power over us through Christ's death. When Jesus died on the cross, man, he set us free from the penalty of death and sin. But he also, boom, got victory over Satan. He also, boom, crushed Satan's head 
You know, it's important to understand this because there's all kinds of pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament. Not just the blood of the Passover lambs uh, making a cross, but how did Samson die? He was in the form of a cross. His hands were between two pillars. He was disempowered, man, because he uh, gave up his power, right? Secret of his power. Here, shave, man. Crew cut. Now he has no power. Uh, he's back there. He's a picture of Jesus, though. Okay, he's not a picture of Jesus in his behavior. God has to use imperfect people, and but he's a picture of Jesus in his death. They begin to mock him and make sport of Samson. They took him out, just like they made sport of Jesus. Samson took the gates of the Philistines, man, up a mountain, man, just like Jesus said the gates of hell. That's another way Satan tries to destroy the church, right, to get victory. He said, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus overcomes the gates of Hades. Samson says, ask a little boy who's leading him to put him between two pillars. Sticks his arms up between these two pillars. He's at the temple of Dagon, a demon god. Pushes the pillars down. This demonic temple falls on the head, heads of the wicked people that were there. And it shows that Satan had uh, received a big defeat there through Samson, who was a picture of Christ. It says, Samson killed more people in his death than he did in his life. Isn't that amazing? 3,000 people. Well, the Bible says that Jesus did more than what was written. And we know when we read about what Jesus Christ did on the cross, he did more in his death for our sins, accomplished far more in his resurrection, in the miracle of his resurrection, than he did through all of the other, his other miracles put together. Samson was a picture of him. In fact, when the new covenant is, is, is confirmed and ratified there in a, at, when Jesus is at the Last Supper, and then you see the day of Pentecost, right? And the outpouring of the Spirit, which is, uh, you know, shows the empowerment of that new covenant that, that is. Guess what happens, man? 3,000 people not killed are saved and re released from Satan's power. So there's a whole lot of stuff going on here, but it's important for you to understand that Satan hates your guts, man. The Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren. Revelation chapter 12 says he accuses you day and night before God. But guess what? He's a prosecuting attorney. But guess what? You have a defense lawyer. You have the most incredible defense lawyer you could possibly get, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children... I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate. The word advocate means defense lawyer. An advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation or payment for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Now, when I was in the Philippines on a mission trip with a bunch of brothers and sisters uh, here from our fellowship at Blessed Hope Chapel, uh, we went into the prisons. The prisons were to the max because their new president, their new leader was just arresting people right and left if they were just accused of being drug dealers. I mean, they were, they were just put in jail and you could actually kill people And at that time and a lot of people were just dying and a lot of people, a lot of drug lords, a lot of people were getting killed that were wicked but they weren't getting trials and a lot of people were getting arrested uh, but a lot of innocent people were going to jail too and we went to visit one of these jails and it was packed, man, and all these Filipino people were there and and I began to uh, share the gospel with them. And I knew a lot of them would not get trials maybe for years. I knew a lot of them were guilty. But I knew one thing we're all guilty of. And I mentioned to them, you may be innocent of the crimes that you've been accused of, but we're all guilty. And I mentioned that this is a holding facility because it's like the county jail, right, for us here in the United States. And that's what Hades is like. When you die, having not been right with God, you'll go to a place called Hades. And you'll be held there until you're sentenced at the Great White Throne Judgment. Everyone's name who's not written in the Lamb's Book of Life will then be cast in the lake of fire. I said, I don't know what's going to happen to your life. My heart breaks for you guys, man. 
don't know what's going to happen now with your life on this planet, but I do know what's going to happen after you die if you don't know Jesus. And I mentioned that Jesus suffered for their sins in their place. So even if they get executed on this planet, and probably many of them have been since we had that talk, you could be spared the wrath of God if you realize that you have Jesus who died for your sins. And I mentioned to them that, guess what? Yeah, Satan's a prosecuting attorney. He's the accuser of the brethren. But we have the best lawyer possible, man, because the Bible tells us, even though Satan accuses us day and night before God, the scriptures tell us that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. And guess what? I said the judge, God, the Father, well, the defense attorney happens to be related to him. It's his son. And he really loves his son, right? And guess what? His son is perfect. And his son is able to intercede for us on the basis of the wounds or the the suffering that he went through and the wounds that he has are evidence of what he did for us on the cross. He could say, paid in full, Father. Their debt was paid in full. Those accusations will go nowhere ultimately if you're putting your trust in Jesus because his uh, he paid the price, guys. And this is imperative that we understand this. In fact, guess what? The Bible tells us that we're free from Satan's accusations if you're putting your faith in Christ. Colossians 1, 21-22 says, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, that's who we were before Jesus, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death, in order to, listen to this, through death, in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. The Father, through what Christ did on the cross, is able to reconcile you to himself. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. And make you beyond reproach, beyond accusation. That is, the very next verse says, if you continue in the faith, it goes on to say. So if you're trusting in Jesus and you continue to trust Jesus, you have victory. When John the Apostle fell down at the Isle of Patmos to receive the book of Revelation, and Jesus appeared to him in, in, in glory, man, not all his glory, he would have just been incinerated, right? He appeared to him and his face shined like the sun at noon, man. John falls down. Jesus puts his right hand upon him and says, fear not. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Resurrection, man what we're celebrating this coming Sunday. Fear not. Don't have to fear. Because guess what? He's done it all. I am he that liveth and was dead and am alive forevermore. Amen. He says, I am the first and the last. He's, he's God. And he goes on to say, and I have the keys of Hades and death. Satan does not have the power over death anymore unless you're rejecting Jesus. Then he still has power over you. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Jesus came to destroy his enemies, to get victory over his his enemies. And it says the last enemy is death. And 1 Corinthians 15 is all about Christ's resurrection from the dead. The first four verses are about how, especially verses 3 and 4, that the gospel, Paul said, dear clarity of the gospel by which you are being saved, the old fast that which I declare to you, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again according to the scriptures. So we have victory over Satan through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting because we read in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a little bit later, verse 50. Now, I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We, that's you and me, those of us who are trusting Jesus for our salvation, will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, the imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable. And this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable and uh, when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then he says, 
will come about the saying that is written. This is from the book of Isaiah and Hosea. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, uh, it says the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. Verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39 says, Who shall be able to separate us from the love of God? Neither height nor depth. It says things like not death. Death can't even separate from the love of God because Christ rose from the dead. It says the angels are principalities. They can't separate us from the love of God because we have victory over Satan through faith in Christ who triumphed over Jesus on the cross. Because guess, oh yeah, Satan was able to bruise his heel. He went to the cross. But it wasn't a death blow to the point of eternal, uh, eternally being vanquished. In fact, Jesus died to give us victory. He says, no one even takes my left from me. I'm the good shepherd in John 10. I lay it, up, lay it down on my own power. So a Satan's thinking, man, I'm getting triumph over him now. Guess what? I couldn't keep him from the cross, but now maybe I can just get him to turn from God. Whatever Satan was thinking, guess what, man? Yeah, he bruised his heel, metaphorically, but Jesus rose from the dead. That's why ultimately it ends up being a heel wound. Yeah, he died. He died a true death. He paid for our sins, but he rose again and conquered death. Oh, and guess what? If you looked at Jesus' heel on the cross, guess what you see? Literally, not just metaphorically. You see a literal bruise. Literal death and a literal bruise. Because the death that died, Jesus died wasn't just metaphorical. That, that, that statement is, is figurative to a degree, but it's speaking of him literally dying ultimately, but rising from the dead. So ultimately, it's like a heel blow. Dies for sins? Yes. Sins paid for? Yes. Washed away? Yes. But guess what? He triumphed over death, and he lives forevermore. But if you looked at his heel, because we know from forensic science that the lowest extremity of your body forms a bruise. The lowest point of your body, the lowest extremity touching a physical surface, according to forensic science, forms a bruise. And guess what? What was the lowest part of Jesus' body? His heel touching the cross. Isn't that a trip? Genesis 3.15. Who bruised his heel? Yeah, his heel was literally actually bruised. Uh, so it's interesting too because Satan's head now is, is getting crushed. And we read in the scripture in Revelation chapter 16, verses 13 through 16, that, that Satan, that the you know, three spirits will go forth, demonic spirits, one from the mouth of the dragon, one from the mouth of the beast, one from the mouth of the false prophet. They'll go to the kings of the earth and bring them together to fight God at Armageddon. So Satan thinks he's going to have some victory here, right? And Revelation 17, 12 says something interesting. It says, The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they will receive authority as kings uh, with the beast for one hour. So these ten kings will give the power to the beast. These have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. These will wage war against the lamb. They're going to wage war against the lamb. Yeah. The, the ten kings giving their power to the beast, and the beast, and, and then the other nations that assemble together at Megiddo. But the intention of the ten kings and the Antichrist is to wage war against Christ. That brings me back to one of the questions we began with. Does Satan really think he can get victory? Does he really think he's going to win? I don't, I, I, yes and no. And there's a yes to that answer and a no. What do I mean by that? Uh, no in the sense that I believe Satan and the demonic world know that they're ultimately going to lose. Okay? They know they have no chance. Oh, they'll still fight just like an animal that's, you know, in a corner that's rabid and, you know, uh, they'll fight to the last to get victory. But they're, 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 they know they're not going to ultimately beat Christ. How do we know that? Well, guess what? The Bible says the demons in James 2, they, they, they believe that there's one God and they tremble. They're freaked out. Remember when Jesus 
dealt with the demoniac and the gatherings with the the, the, the the man that was cutting himself by the tombs. Remember Legion, you know? Remember they freaked out, man. And sent us into the pigs. You know, they didn't want to be destroyed before their times. The demon spirits say things like we read in scripture, are you here to torment us before our time? They know they're headed for torment. Even Satan knows in the book of Revelation chapter 12, he knows his time is short. He only has short time at that point. Uh, he knows his, his days are numbered. He's going down for the count, man. He knows that. He knows he's no match for God. Well, then oh, well, then, well, then, how are they winning? The only ones that really think, I believe, that they could actually win are the, sat- are the Satanists that have been duped, that have been tricked, that have been just deceived by Satan, that are just, oh, wow, man, we're going to reign with Satan in hell in some way, or we're going to rule over the universe in some way. Because Satan in the tribulation period gets people to think, because they say of the beast, who can make war with him? So the principalities and powers, they know they're doomed. Okay, they know Christ already has a victory, man. But guess what? They want to deceive as many people as possible and they want to win souls. Just as we as Christians want to win souls for heaven, they want to win souls and bring down as many people as possible. So at, during the tribulation period, they'll be saying, the world will be saying, who can make war with him? Like, wow. And the image of the beast that will be made, it'll look like he could even impart life in some way. So we deceive, man, and thinking, wow, let's take his mark. There's going to be this kingdom like Hitler promised this thousand-year Reich. Well, it's going to be another counterfeit kingdom and they're going to be waylaid. In fact, occult leaders, man, have deceived the masses. In fact, we have L. Ron Hubbard, the leader of Scientology, who was Jack Parsons, who was a co-founder of Jet Propulsion Laboratory with NASA, right? Uh, these guys, you know, were trying to bring forth an Antichrist type figure, right? Practicing sex magic. And uh, they were, you know, telling L. Ron Hubbard when he started Scientology after that, to OT8s, and you have different levels in Scientology, like you have 33 degrees in masonry. Well, eighth, the eighth level in Scientology is, was, they may have changed it since, but it was the highest level. And I was talking to an ex-Scientologist uh, who was giving a speech, and I said, are you familiar with L. Ron Hubbard's relationship with Satan and Celestia Crowley or how he claimed to, to follow his teachings and so forth? And he said, yeah. He goes, hey, I want to give you something at the end. Well, I talked to him at the end of the, the time because he didn't want to get into that. They said, I'm going to send you something that was given to me by a clerk when I was still part of Scientology who knew I was leaving. And he mailed me three and a half pages from L. Ron Hubbard to OT8s, which is the highest level. And L. Ron Hubbard wrote uh, in that three plus pages, he wrote about how, you know what? Our mission can be characterized as a mission of Antichrist in the book of Revelation. But really, the Bible's, you know, a lie, but there's a lot of truth in it. And the book of Revelation, it, it's twisting everything. Really, the, the Antichrist is really us, and we're the good guys. And Christ, who's coming back, it's not really Jesus Christ. It's really this macabre landing of alien beings who, when they come, are going to make happy slaves of humanity. And we at Scientology have a fleeting chance to derail the second coming of Christ and win. There you go. Uh, a lot of occult traditions are teaching that Satan wins in the end. Okay, And some, they manufacture different types of fantasy and science fiction to dupe their followers, but they're duping them nonetheless. And during the tribulation period, uh, all the stuffs we pulled out. That's why we encourage you, if you haven't seen it yet, to watch uh, Marvel's. Uh, you know, just just go to Good Fight and uh, just go to or go to Marvel DC's War of God, and you'll find that. Just type that in Google, you'll find it. And if you can't afford it, it's only three nine nine to rent, or buy it for eight nine nine. If you can't afford it, you know, uh, send us a, an email and say, hey, you know, can you give me? A, can you let me watch it for free? Because we're about getting the truth out here. But I just want to encourage you guys, man, that Jesus gets the victory in the end. And we read, if I continue reading that in Revelation, these will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Because He is Lord of Lord, 
lords and king of kings, and those who are with him are the called and chosen and faithful. Wow, praise God, you guys. We get the victory. The Lord God gets the victory. Then we go on to read that the Lord God gets the victory in Revelation 19, which says this. Then he, uh, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, uh, tells us uh, that, verses 11 through 21, that Christ will come on his white horse with the armies of heaven and he'll defeat the beast. In verses 11 or eleven through 21, Christ comes with the white horse with the armies of heaven. And guess what? It says the beast is taken and with him the false prophet. And they're both thrown alive in the lake of fire. There's not even a, a judgment for these guys. I mean, that is their judgment. There's not a public sentencing because their folly has been manifest throughout the entire world during the tribulation period. Everybody knows they're evil. They deserve it. They're thrown right alive in the lake of fire. Well, guess what? Just over a thousand years later, you have the millennium period, then you have Satan let loose for a, a, a short period of time. And then guess what? Satan will be bound during that time when, when the beast, the false prophet, thrown in the fire and lake of fire. Satan's bound by an angel. God doesn't have to do it. Just an angel binds him. You know, he's no match for God. And then after he's let loose for a short season, uh, then guess what? Fires rained down from heaven. Christ is reigning with the saints uh, in, in, in Jerusalem. And guess what happens, man? It says Satan is cast. This is Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. Satan is thrown into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are. By the way, they weren't just annihilated as the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. It says Satan was thrown there where the beast and the false prophet are. They were thrown there over a thousand years earlier, but they're still being tormented. It says all those who reject Christ and, and follow the Antichrist, it says they'll be thrown in the lake of fire. And it says there'll be no rest for them day and night forever and ever. You want to make sure you have Jesus Christ. You want to make sure you're forgiven of your sins. You want to make sure that you know God. The Bible says, Jesus said, I am in John chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Amen. You put your faith in Christ, man, and you die physically, to be absent from the body, your spirit will leave. You'll be present with God because Jesus died on the cross for everyone's sins, including yours. Don't doubt it, man. The Bible says he tasted death for everyone. And God's word promises in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if we believe in our heart or we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord, you confess him as your master, right? And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, amen? You believe the gospel. Because Paul said a little bit before that in Romans 1, 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek. And he goes on to say in Romans 10, a few verses later after the verses I quoted earlier, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus died. He rose again. We have all kinds of eyewitness accounts. It was the very apostles uh, that, that saw, that he not only knew that he was crucified, but saw the resurrected Christ with his wounds, that he lives, and they went, many of them, to their deaths, proclaiming him as victor. We have great Bible manuscripts that are close in proximity to the original manuscripts. We have many of them. We have, uh, we have prophecy that's fulfilled. We have eyewitness accounts. There's no reason to doubt that we have the truth, man. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Come to him now, man. Make sure you know Jesus. Make sure you're saved. And make sure you remain in Christ because the Bible says he will present you before the Father, blameless and beyond accusation, if you continue in the faith. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. 
We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.